Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And we continue on with season six where we're looking at the classics of the movie picture era. And for episode 56, I thought we'd look at one of my personal favourites of mine, one I consider to be the stepping stone in the sci-fi genre. And also the film, I believe, has one of the best endings in cinema history. So for this episode, we shall be talking about the 1968 sci-fi adventure film Planet of the Apes, based on a novel by Pierre Ball and directed by Franklin J. Schaffner and starring Charlton Heston, Roddy McDowell, Kim Hunter, and Maurice Evans. I assume if you're listening to this podcast and you're well aware of the film's pinnacle ending, the overwhelming yet somewhat desolate ending of Planet of the Apes goes down as not only one of the greatest twists in cinema history, but one of the best endings in general for a movie that leads you on an innocently false sense of misdirection. The last scene with Charlton Heston screaming in misery and despair as the camera pans up to reveal what he has come to realise the once majestic statue of liberty in ruins. The ruins is not what breaks his poor heart, but it's the very notion that he has been on earth this entire time as he famously shouts, I'm back. Forget we're going to need a bigger boat in Jaws or life is like a box of chocolates in Forrest Gump or even forget Arnie's improvised line, I'll be back. It's Charlton Heston's realisation that this whole time, this planet of the apes is in fact planet Earth. I'm back. I'm back. The original line, by the way, was meant to be, oh God, but he said, I'm back. Even when I watched this film recently, again on the new Star Channel on Disney, it was still shocking. And the tone is set just right for it, you know, for it to be one of the best sci-fi films ever made. Even after 50 odd years, um, we can hardly rest easy when we get to the end of this movie. So Planet of the Apes made its debut in 1968 in early February. I think it came out a day before Martin Luther King got assassinated. And it was the very same weekend as well as another big sci-fi epic hit the screens that would also shape the sci-fi genre for decades to come. And that's Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. One year after... Uh, both these films were released. We had The Landing of the Moon by Neil Armstrong on Apollo Air 11, uh, which I thought was quite interesting. Uh, but during the releases of both these films, the race between the Russians and the US was in full gear, so naturally interests were quite at their peak, had already been aroused by this feud happening in the world. So instinctively, the space genre invited a lot of interest in the cinema. Schaefer's provocative story went to become a franchise, leading to four more sequels in the four years. Beneath Escape, Conquest and Battle of Planet of the Apes. In 2011, a new franchise stemmed from the original story but acted as a prequel to the original movie with James Franco. I believe it was called Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And that spawned uh, two sequels. The more contemporary one focuses on how the invasion of the apes happened on Earth, whilst the original one starts in the year 2300 when this invasion had already happened. With today's filmmaking and stories, it's quite hard to imagine a studio that would find a grimly apocalyptic movie now, unless it had real star power and explosive action sequences. The reboots, unfortunately, and not trying to disrespect the vision, were distinctly less revolutionary. The four sequels in the 70s were a solid effort for a franchise. Unsurprisingly, none of the four predecessors never trumped the brilliance and artistry of the original 1968 movie. And the franchise became a massive hit with the audiences on a global scale. At the time, it was more popular than Star Trek. And that had just started and become one of the biggest things as well in the sci-fi genre. Not even sci-fi genre, but just movies in general. And just the idea of a franchise as well. 
The last of the sequels came out four years before the release of Star Wars, and from there, Planet of the Apes became a blip in the radar to movie lovers in the 80s and onwards as the just the sheer volume of Star Wars success whitewashed many other sci-fi gems that were unfortunately released near the Star Wars, uh, Star Wars uh, era. What is quite interesting about uh, the effects of Planet of the Apes in 1968 is, um, you know, as, as seeing the world come to um, this sort of an end, basically. More specifically, the end of human civilization. And it seemed to have a ripple effect on what is happening now. The entire themes of this movie play quite subtly to America's interracial conflict, the country's ongoing love-hate relationship with racism and immigration. I mean, this film was made 50 years ago. It somehow manages to play on other certain themes that seem to be senselessly relevant today, like clashes between youth and authority. I mean, it's a universal problem in the world, but less horrific within, you know, let's say family issues, but it does spread into the outside world. Ageism, we call it now. The themes of feminism, and that's the one that sticks out more than others in in most films of these days. But another theme that stuck out in Planet of the Apes is the impending extinction of a human species in a nuclear war. One of the first films to tackle this fear which resonates more now than it did back in the 1960s of course now world issues like global warming and nuclear power have taken a back seat to the more emotional issues like feminism and racism that doesn't seem to go away and with the uprising of technology the issues of racism and general discrimination whether it's feminism or ageism is now it has an easy platform to attack and travel through to spread hate and to cause uh, realization on what's been happening in terms of discrimination to these certain groups, thanks to the 21st century and the introduction of social media. The quick plot of the movie begins with a spacecraft that lands, uh, well, I should say crash lands on a mysterious planet. Um, from the early dialogue, we are told that they left Earth 18 months ago. However, the further into space they went, the more Earth age, 300 years to be exact, while they traveled 18 months. So they have come to terms so that that Earth that they left has probably changed dramatically, even ended, and their mission seems to be to find another planet for life. Roughly an average of three years on Earth passed for every one day Colonel Taylor and his crew were travelling at near light speed. So they crash land on a planet, Taylor and two others, well, three others, but the woman died during her cryosleep from a crack in her sleeping pot. Nothing's really revealed about her, and that's the end of that. The obvious question of repopulation hits our heads, however, the three male astronauts brush it off and explore this barren planet. So Taylor, played by Charlton Heston and his two fellow astronauts, soon get caught by monkeys, and his two fellow astronauts are killed and captured. Well, actually, one's killed and one is captured. And Taylor, with a wound to his throat so temporal, they, which doesn't allow him to speak for half the movie, finds out that evolution on this planet has gone backwards, that monkeys are now intelligent talking beings with a government and civilization, and that man have become mute, dumb, and seen as an animal to the monkeys. The tables have turned in this sci-fi classic, and the obvious themes of slavery are instinctively shown very obviously to the audiences. I mean, two two chimpanzees, um, Cornelius, played by Roddy McDowell, and his wife Zira, played by Kim Hunter, are the only ones to show sympathy towards Taylor or just demonstrate any form of compassion. Dr. Zhao who is played by Maurice Evans, who is the head of this ape civilization, indeed tries to cover up Taylor's existence, knowing full well what man once was or are capable of. Afraid that Taylor may unearth the truth about the ape revolution that took place centuries ago. 
The ape civilization is aggressively demanding, visually operating on a strict race or de- demonstrating these strict rules towards class um, and just division that somewhat resonates the idea of slavery and the political ideologies of the Nazi party. Like all great science fiction films, the movie is simply trying to hold up a mirror to our own world. The very fact that this planet is not a barren planet but is in fact Earth is even more of a hint that these things are happening and will still happen. This divide in race and gender and even 50 years after its release, this film's themes still hold true today. So Planet of the Apes was written by a French novelist by Pierre Boulle, probably best known for two bodies of work, one of which of course is Planet of the Apes and the other was this bridge on the River Kwai, which were both made into award-winning films. Ironically though, Pierre thought Planet of the Apes was his worst novel. Planet of the Apes was nominated for two Oscars, music and undoubtedly the costume design. It didn't win either, but was extremely popular when the film was released. The music was done by Jerry Goldsmith and is basically the missing key to this action epic. He's the Bernard Herrmann of this movie. I read he wore an ape mask when composing this movie to get a better feel of the music, which is strange, but it seemed to work. I also read that he used a ox horn for some of the score for this movie, which is quite uh, interesting. So the film was made with just short of $6 million and ended up making $32 million worldwide. It was quite a success. It was the eighth highest grossing movie in 1968, but it was a very competitive year. Behind other generational classics like Steve McQueen's Bullet, Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Babies, and of course Stanley Kubrick's 2001 Space Odyssey. I think the highest grossing movie of that year was a film called Funny Girl, a musical with Barbara Streisand. A film won Barbara Streisand her Oscar for Best Actress in that film. One of two musicals that came out with high expectations in 1968, the other was Oliver, which went on to win Best Film at the Academy Awards. So Planet of the Apes, it's listed in the 1001 Movies Before You Die, top 10 best twist endings ever, according to IMDb, ranked second behind The Sixth Sense, and one of the best science fiction movies ever made in the moving picture era, which is quite a feat for a film that almost didn't get made. So in 2001, which I think was the same time the remake was made with, um, I think Tim Burton did it with Mark Wahlberg, the 1968 film was added to the National Film Registry by the United States Library of Congress, which is a huge honour. Most of these classics usually have a story behind it, and what stories, and that story are usually the near misses that movie went through to not being made. Pierre was almost reluctant not to let anyone adapt his novel since he hated it. Well, I say hated it. He said it was the worst one, according to his own opinion. Charlton Heston almost didn't do the film, but he did and signed on to it. He had a god-awful flu during the movie as well. Producers were thinking of halting production, but thought his flu voice might add to the character's throat injury in the movie. So, And it also added a bit of grit to his uh, voice after he finally talks in the movie, since he's been in deep space for 18 months as well. It adds a sort of flavour to it. Uh, he was obviously not fond of the shoot, seeming he was underneath, you know, he had the flu for the entire duration of the shoot. He recalls in an interview that it was such an awful experience, not with anything specific with the movie because he had the flu. He wasn't overly fond of being drenched with water by a high-powered hose, which happens a few times in this movie. And the film almost had Ingrid Berman in the movie. She was going to play Zero, but declined. After seeing how well the film did, she confided in her daughter, saying how much she regretted doing the movie. So Zero is a uh, chimpanzee, of course, in full makeup, so no one would have recognised her. So she, another reason why she really regretted doing the role is because... Um, 
there was this gossip that she only got casted because of her beauty and she was really good looking. And this film would have probably set the record straight if she accepted the part of Zira, considering her character is in full makeup and not many people would have recognised her. The actress who plays Zira um, apparently walked up to Charlton Heston one day on set without any of her makeup and said, how you doing? And Charlton Heston said, hey. And that was about it. And he had no idea who she was, even though he was filming scenes of her for the last two weeks. So, yeah, the makeup was pretty good in this movie. Uh, it would have been a very different movie indeed without the caliber, or well, with the caliber of Ingrid Berman, though. That would have um, sold more tickets, I assume, but the film still is a classic and did really well. The film itself took like three years for it to even be greenlit to go into production. Charlton Heston, who signed on from the very beginning, didn't think the film would go ahead. He was just fl- he was just floating around for three years. Between then, Heston had no problem getting other jobs. I mean, if you've read the book, which I haven't, um, but I've read, I've looked at all the interviews on YouTube. It's quite uncinematic. Nothing dramatic really happens in the book, and nothing really massive happens in the movie in terms of a big battle sequence or fight scene. The essence of the movie carried through um, is through basically a debate of whom evolved from whom in an interesting environment with evolution seems to have flip-flopped and that's sort of the action of the movie no one would have guessed that planet of the apes would be the biggest franchises ever in the late 60s and the 70s right before star wars stole the show arthur jacobs the guy who was trying to get this project greenlit um, all he had was the rights to the novel and some random paintings that depicted several scenes from the book that's it he acquired the rights to the novel before it was even published because he liked the story so much and that's all he had when he was pitching it to the studios so no wonder it took three years for it to get made. I mean, can you blame him, though? Nevertheless, um, Charlton Heston stuck around from the uh, the very beginning, which is actually quite impressive for you know someone of his uh, star caliber. And I don't know if it's from just curiosity of um, this film getting made or just simple loyalty. So we don't know. But the pitch, I mean, would have been somewhere along the lines of Arthur giving the producers paintings he had done and pitching, talking just pitching about monkeys on another world. I mean, it was extremely hard to pitch around them, but eventually someone took the bullet. And the person that took the bullet was, to, uh, you know, made a lot of money. I believe it was Fox Studios that eventually decided to fund this crazy monkey movie in the end. And, of course, they spawned four more movies afterwards. I think one of the biggest reasons for the hesitation from preventing 20th Century Fox from committing to the project was its fear of how the eight faces would appear on screen. So makeup was sort of just starting, so they wouldn't know if they were you know, going to be able to pull off uh, talking monkeys. Eventually, they coughed, uh, they coughed up like five grand for a test scene to be shot of Charlton Heston playing alongside the makeup of one of the monkeys. Um, I think it was uh, Edward Robinson as Dr. Zeus and James Brolin as a character called Mr. Cornelius. It was there that the studio was quite excited and results of this test was, um, were, you know, were promising, but it was still, it, it wasn't greenlit at that point. I think the film went for another further six months. I mean, the very fact that they showed interest was the whole reason why I think Heston and Arthur Jacobs didn't go anywhere else. So, you know, it was quite interesting. It was only after, um, there was a film called Fantastic Voyage. Uh, it was made in 1966, the year England won the World Cup. It was a very good film. It became a hit and it showed the sort of viability of science fiction as a genre like Planet of the Apes. And that was the reason it got the go-ahead. But without Robinson, as he suffered from a weak heart and didn't think he could endure the day-to-day rigors of performing in the ape uh, makeup. So they won one without him and then they made Planet of the Apes. And there you go. Um, the makeup was the biggest thing for the movie. They had to get it right because between takes, the actor had to, the actors had to remain in the makeup because it would take hours to reapply. And because of this, they couldn't eat solid food during break. So they had someone crush the food and make it liquid so they could suck for a straw, which is just madness. But that's the commitment these actors go through uh, when filming a movie, I guess. 
And one runner during the movie said that in between takes that the different ape species, of course, in costume would hang out together. So the gorillas would hang out with the gorillas, the orangutans with the orangutans. And this wasn't a requirement at all, of course. It was just naturally happening, which was an interesting observation. But the apes, they don't actually appear in the film for the first half an hour of the film. I think there were 80 makeup artists on set at any given time. Shockingly, none of the gorillas or orangutans are female in this movie, and they seem to be the most dominant in terms of hierarchy in the movie, quite similar to that of um, Animal Farm by George Orwell, that I, which I have read. Not I haven't read Planet of the Apes, but I have read Animal Farm. And there's a sneaky little reference in the movie to George Orwell's Animal Farm. So during the trial scene in Planet of the Apes, Honorus challenges Ted by asking him why are all apes created equal to which taylor responds some apes it seems are more equal than others which is a bit of a jab if you've seen the film which is and it's also um if you pick it up it's a clear reference to animal farm which also evolves around an animal rebellion in which farm animals take over a farm whilst chasing away the human masters sorry if i've spoiled that for you if you haven't seen or read uh, animal farm so some of the animals gradually lose their morality and the pigs in animal farm eventually take over as the ruling class oppressing their fellow animals has hinted in planet of the apes where the chimps are regarded as inferior to other apes and in this movie we have female chimps so there's there's that's what i'm talking about with the themes of feminism and the pigs in animal farm implement new laws and one of which states all animals are equal but some are more equal than others. And that's the reference from Planet of the Apes. But anyway, yeah, that was me geeking out. But the film is widely known, not just for the special effects, but the very shocking revelation at the end, as I've mentioned a few times already, where they find out that this mysterious barren planet that they've been wandering around uh, that's been taken over by apes is in fact Earth, which is probably just one of the best endings ever because no one expected it when they first watched it. Apparently there were three endings for the climax of the movie, but Charlton Heston, the big A-lister in this movie, preferred the one that's in the movie where we see the Statue of Liberty in ruins and that's the realisation that he's on Earth. An interesting observation about their exact location, which is uh, a bit of a uh, sort of a geeky thing but when nova and taylor are traveling down the coastline and with the ocean on their right before discovering the statue of liberty that means the coastal edge of the forbidden zone where the apes and taylor and uh, the apes uh, and taylor have their final moment is most likely in new jersey which gives us a better geography for the sequels on where exactly they are on Earth. In fact, when they are shown the map earlier in the film, you can actually make out some recognisable landmasses, very similar to the borough of New York. So they did leave clues in the movies on where they actually are, and I find it quite ironic that Landon, one of the fellow astronauts that dies later, actually, I don't think he dies, I think he just gets captured, um, plants an American flag in the Forbidden Zone when we find out that they're in America anyway. Uh, the other nice little taunt is when they're speculating on the state of humanity and Earth in the 40th century. And Taylor says, they think, you, they think you'd, you'd be something that fell out of a tree, foreshadowing humans' status as dumb beasts who are considered dangerous by the apes. And he later claims that Landon went on a mission because he wanted glory. And he says to him, there's a life-size bronze statue of you somewhere. And it's probably turned green by now, but nobody can read the nameplate. But never let it say we forget our heroes. And Taylor's sarcastic reference to a ruined statue of Landon foreshadows his discovery of the ruins of the Statue of Liberty in the final scene. But Planet of the Apes is what the Matrix was to the special effects game of the turn of the 21st century. It was big, it was bold, it was something people hadn't seen before. 
the makeup was hyped. It was, and it was mixed with an incredible story that holds you into its false sense of reality and then turns the tables on you right at the end. Truly the benchmark in the sci-fi genre. And like I say, time and time again, probably if you've watched a film and if you've watched a film in one sitting, which is only like one hour, 40 minutes, it's probably the best ending in cinema history. It's certainly up there as the all time best twists for sure. But anyways, that's all I have time for with Planet of the Apes. Please subscribe to me on Spotify, iTunes, and I'm on Google. And I'm also on Instagram, uh, Film Exploration AH, all lowercase, all one word. And once again, thank you for listening to my podcast uh, on Planet of the Apes with Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. Hurry.